Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It... Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. Ten volumes to date, available in paperback, ebook, and Kindle at Amazon. And you can get your audiobooks, all volumes, one through ten, at Audible, Amazon, iTunes as well. So, go out, buy a couple of hundred copies You should have already bought a couple of hundred copies for Christmas. (laughs) And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? Ho, ho, ho! (laughs) Listen to this. Oh, it's the annual Christmas episode. Indeed, indeed, sir. My favorite. (laughs) Yeah, and by the way, folks, you know, if... Even if you're listening to this on Christmas Eve, you can order some audiobooks and have them instantly. No shipping required. <laughs> exactly. Or download of the the normal book, the ebook on your Kindle. No shipping required. Instant gratification. <laughs> Feel free to wait till the last minute. <laughs> we revel in last minute shoppers. <laughs> We're not even raising the prices for last minute. And my store does not close. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) And no elves were harmed in the making of these books. That you know of. (laughs) As far as you know. (laughs) I have one tied to a tree in the backyard. My my Belschnickel whips him with a broom. (laughs) Be careful what you do to those gnomes and elves. That's a little preview of what may be coming later. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Merry Christmas to everybody, and uh, we're getting this one out there to you. <laughs> no yeah, small, it's the, no, almost the almost the close to another year of this podcast. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, we started out. Bill and I didn't know if anybody would listen to this, including our relatives, <laughs> <laughs> including no ourselves. Kidding, by the way. <laughs> And now it's amazing uh, how many of you are loyal listeners and how many of you are new listeners. And uh, we greatly appreciate it. And we have a lot of fun bringing you a a little bit of a smile and maybe a little information on some creepy uh, accounts of the hairy man and some super creepy accounts of other cryptids. Yeah. And remember, folks, you know, if you've seen something, say something and or just chime in with us, you know, tell us what you're thinking of the podcast. Uh, say hello. Bigfoot Terror in the Woods dot com. Hit the contact button and bingo. You are there. Awesome. So what? Well, about- Bill, Go you ahead. know what time it is. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> 
It's time for the classic bedtime reading. <laughs> Wait a minute, I just got up. <laughs> <laughs> heavily, heavily adapted from Twas the Night Before Christmas from Clement Clark Moore. Uh-huh. Now this, this is a, <laughs> this isn't his version, correct? No, this is a slightly different version. Slightly modified. <laughs> <laughs> but we couldn't have done it without him. Indeed. So thank you, thank Clement Seymour, and all of his relatives that are now around. Uh-huh. We and even some of them that aren't around. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lay it on me, brother. All right. You ready? I'm, I'm, I'm ready as I'll ever be. There you go. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring not even a mouse. The trail cameras were loaded and set up with care in hopes that a large Bigfoot soon would be there. <laughs> the hikers were nestled all snug in their tents while visions of Sasquatch danced in their heads. <laughs> and Bill holding a Glock and Kevin his cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. <laughs> When out in the camp there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the cot to see what was the matter. Away to the tent flap I flew like a flash, tore open the zippers and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow, snow gave the luster of midday to objects aglow. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a giant sleigh and eight freaky creatures <laughs> with a large hairy driver, so smelly yet stealth. I knew in a moment it must be St. Squatch. More rapid than eagles his courses they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Rougarou, now Nessie, now Yeti, and Dogman, on Momo, on Champ, on Mothman, and... Yowie! <laughs> to the top of the tent, to the top of the trees, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the mountaintop, the courses they flew, with a sleigh full of toys and St. Squatch too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard up top the trampling and crunching of each huge pop. As I drew in my hand and was turning around into the cabin, St. Squatch came with a bound. He was covered all in hair from his head to his foot, and his odor was strong and would stun many a foot. <laughs> a bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, all scary and red. His cheeks were cold and his nose like the dead. <laughs> his huge, ugly mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a stick he held tightly in his teeth, and the stench, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had broad shoulders and was nine feet tall. The cabin shook like jelly when he rolled into it like a ball. His broad and lean, he was broad and lean, a right angry old beast, and I froze when I saw him, in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. 
He spoke not a word, but went straight to work, and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod, out of the cabin he rose, and left a huge hole in the roof. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like a high-powered cruise missile. <laughs> but I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. But it sounded like Chinese or Russian gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> Always a classic. <laughs> yeah, I like his little white beard. Yeah. I'm kind of digging on the white beard with the red He's eyes. older Sasquatch. <laughs> Oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, yeah, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. And we hope that you and yours are uh, going to have a really good day. A little family, a little kids, some toys, a little schnapps, perhaps. A little Heiner Kleiner Nacht music. <laughs> perhaps a little bit of romper mints. <laughs> Maybe maybe a uh, German cookie? Maybe some Norwegian cookies. Oh, or a strudel, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good, Kev. So what good do we have stuff. in our uh, Christmas cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Yeah, we, we got some creepy ones here. So these are... You're going to get the creep on, even though it's Christmas, so I apologize. <laughs> and by the way, you may want to cover the ears of the little ones if they're listening. Nah, I'll let them to... listen. <laughs> That's the basic disclaimer. When some of the really harsh ones are coming up, I may give an additional disclaimer. <laughs> may. May give an additional Possible. disclaimer. I mean, I'd let it fly. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about some of the additional creepy legends mm-hmm. of Christmas. We've talked about... Our good friend Krampus in the past. And we're going to go a little beyond Krampus. Oh, beyond Krampus. Yes. Holy so cow. We're going to start out with, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but I think it's Marie Lude, which is the Christmas zombie horse. <laughs> <laughs> zombie horse? Yes. The, this is a Welsh tradition. All right. And it's... Uh, a macabre skeleton of a mare rises from the dead and wanders the streets with her attendants, who are also fresh from the grave. Ah. Yes. Ah. <laughs> and this is to remind the living of their existence. Yeah. Just so and, you know. Yes. <laughs> and Mary Lude has only one goal in mind, to get into your house. Kind of like the black-eyed children. Hi. Can I use your phone? Maybe you have a cookie for me. What, what is this horse to do? Clack its hooves on the doorstep? Well, it gets better. To keep the zombie horse out, you must engage in a battle of wits. A battle of wits by rhyming, no less. Oh, right. Usually happens on New Year's Eve, where the undead mare is represented in modern day by a puppeteer parading a horse skull on a pole draped in a white cloth. <laughs> Where these people come up with this stuff? 
Bill, do you have anyone coming around your neighborhood that's a puppeteer with the skull of a horse on a pole draped in a sheet? <laughs> we we got the fire department riding up and down the street with sirens on in Santa Claus, and then some schnook shows up behind him with a, a skeleton of a horse <laughs> and a white cape. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I don't know about that one, but it, it really happens. Yeah, I believe it, man. Look at those Krampus parades. There you go. So this one is La Bafana and Babushka, (laughs) which has me a little concerned because didn't mom call me like Babushka or something (laughs) when I was a little kid? (laughs) I I think Babushka is a little baby, isn't it? Well, no, she called called you Bushkin. (laughs) Here we go. In Italy, Russia, and parts of Eastern Europe, we encounter a witch-like lady rooted in the fairy tale figure of Mother Holly, who doles out punishments for the lazy and riches for the hardworking. In Italy, she's known as La Bafana, and in Russia, Babushka. Babushka. So, So you think I was an evil... Witch of sorts in mom's eyes? No, just a little bushkin. (laughs) (laughs) Each January, she packs up and sets off on a broomstick to join the three kings who are seeking the Christ child. She, She searches every house... And if she finds a child there, she gives them a beating or leaves them cookies. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Gives them what? a beating. <laughs> uh, At least it's not Krampus. Yeah. Well, it's it Babushka. Seems, yeah, it's a whole clan of these uh, uh, Babushkas and Krampuses and stuff. These people are out of their minds. <laughs> all right, we're going to get a little more violent here, okay? All right, all right. <laughs> Another right after Christmas on New Year's Eve. Perchta roams the earth, rewarding those who are hardworking and generous, generous <laughs> and punishing the idle and greedy. Uh-huh. Her punishment of choice involves slashing open your stomach so she may violently rip out your intestines, which are then replaced by straw, rocks, and garbage. (laughs) So she's going to stuff you. (laughs) The tradition of having goose for Christmas is sometimes linked to the witches like Perchta, who is often depicted as having a goose foot, along with the belief that goose fat enabled witches to fly. Jeez. How do you like that one? I'm telling you. Well, goose fat, I guess if it was rendered down, you could light your broom on fire and use it as a rocket. (laughs) And by the way, no witches were harmed in this broadcast. Some type of propellant. (laughs) And this was not an anti-witch statement. We do recognize that there are nice witches and good witches in the world. We're not fans of either of the witches. All right, so Perchta has a, some friends that, I don't know how to pronounce this, but this is like a uh, Netherlands, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Nordic thing, called Stragali, I think. Stragali? Yes. <laughs> so in many places, like Switzerland and Norway and Sweden, Perchta rides with a throng of demonic-looking helpers, known as the Stragali. Ugh. 
who love to partake in the feast of offerings left out for them on Christmas by people hoping for perched as blessings of wealth and health in the new year. In some places, Stragali get to dole out the punishments themselves. And they aren't terribly discerning as they rob all bad children and tear them to pieces in the air. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, I was talking. <laughs> I was talking with a friend of mine about this stuff, and uh, he's under the uh, the notion that you know all of these things were done back then, including Krampus and all of that, uh, just to uh, put a little fear in the children of, of being good in general. You know. Oh yeah, I mean they are, you know, like we grew up here in the U.S. with the threat of coal in our stockings. Yeah. Oh, that's true, Kev. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. You'll but in Europe, you know, you you had the threat of being torn apart in the sky by some <laughs> demonic creatures. By Stragoli. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe that's why the Germans gave us such a good fight in World War Two. <laughs> we were worried about coal, and they were like. We got the Stragali coming for us. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Woo-wee. All right, we're going to bring it a little closer to home, and then we're going to go out into the North Atlantic. Okay. Two more. So in some German and Pennsylvania Dutch communities, Belsnickel shows up a couple of weeks before Christmas. Filthy and dressed in rags and furs to beat the children who have misbehaved. <laughs> As an 1872 Philadelphia newspaper recounted, Mr. Bell Snickle <laughs> makes his personal appearance dressed in skins or old clothes, his face black, a bell, a whip, and a pocket full of cakes or nuts. And either the cakes or the whip are bestowed upon those around. Back in the 19th century, it was popular for rowdy revelers to go bell-snicking and get drunk, vandalize the city, and play pranks. I mean, that sounds a little bit like the Krampus Parade. <laughs> it sounds like Ron Conkerman in the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> did, you partic- did you participate in well, bell-snicking? Well, I'm not saying. A little bell-snicking. <laughs> All right, and here we go to the beautiful country of Iceland. And we know the people in Iceland are pretty tough, right? Being in Iceland. They're frozen tough. So this one, you definitely want to cover the children's ears. All right. Gorilla. Gorilla. (laughs) One of Iceland's most renowned figures associated with Christmas. Gorilla is a giant troll who is in a perpetual bad mood (laughs) due to her insatiable hunger. And her hunger is for children. Uh. (laughs) Each Christmas, Gorilla comes down from the mountain dwelling to hunt for naughty children. She places them in a sack and drags them back to her cave, where she boils them and makes a stew out of them. (laughs) Oh, would you like some stew? You're going to love it, dearie. (laughs) Little Gorilla stew. You know what came to my mind? Megilla Gorilla. <laughs> this is different, though. Gorilla yeah. is, I, I don't even know how to pronounce it right. It's uh, uh, Icelandic. G-R-Y-L-A. But yeah, Megilla Gorilla. Yeah, and I think you're right. Gorilla, Gorilla. 
That's how I would pronounce it. Sure, no, it's good. McGilla Gorilla, remember that jerk? <laughs> Mr. Peebles. <laughs> he could never sell the guy, and every time he sold him, he came back and sat him That's in the right. window. Mr. Peebles owned the pet shop. That's right. right. Wow. Yeah, I don't remember this stuff. You jar my memory of this crazy thing. <laughs> McGilla used to always be sitting in the window with that stupid little hat on. And oh, a, yeah. McGilla, gorilla, for gorilla sale. for sale. <laughs> oh, my God. That's it, right? Yeah, yeah. That oh, was yeah. It. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Well, sorry for the Christmas creep, folks, but, you know, my role is to get the creep on. Uh-huh. Well, there's no need to apologize. I and, mean, it's a, again, it's only if you misbehave. That's right. <laughs> Which and is you like can be a little bit happy that I didn't cover some of the creeps, like the Yule Cat. What was if that? You wanted the what? The Yule Cat. If you want to check out the Yule Cat and get a little additional creep on, and the Yule Lads, by the way. Well, maybe we'll save that for next year's Christmas special. We'll see how naughty our listeners are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really bizarre uh, with uh, these strange uh, traditional, you know, stories in various cultures, you know. But they all they all seem to have no problem coming up with them, you know. Oh, no doubt about it. It's very bizarre. Well, speaking of bizarre... Now, this encounter actually came from a, uh, a guide uh, who I had a lengthy interview with. This, Kev, this must be going back about four years ago. Mm. And uh, he had contacted me early on in our doing the podcast. Uh, another guy who sent me pictures of the actual area where this uh, multiple encounters started. And he, you remember, Kev, do you remember Cochise and the Lone Ranger? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you remember Cochise used to wear that uh, two-piece uh, leather suit with the the bangles on it and, you know, you know, the real Indian gear, you know? Yeah, not to be confused with the chief of the Hakawis from F Troop. <laughs> Where the heck are we? <laughs> Sorry. And uh, when I saw his picture wearing this gear in the countryside he was in, I was like, holy cow, man, you don't you don't fake that. You know, you go out and buy that kind of stuff because you want to wear it, you know. Uh, not exactly what I would wear, but this account was shared with me by a guy named Jay Ham. Of course, that's not his real name. A resident of Idaho. And this is what Jay had to share in regards to his multiple encounters with Bigfoot. I live in a relatively small town that is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts of all kinds, but it wasn't always this way. In years gone by, it consisted of hay, potato, and barley farms, where there were very few job opportunities and everyone knew each other, both in town and the surrounding areas. I mention this because the story which you're about to hear had occurred in 1991. Then one could fairly much travel anywhere into the backcountry and never encounter another human being. Today, you'd be fortunate to head into the same country and not see anyone. The area now is full of mountain bikers, hikers, horseback riders, and everything else you could imagine. 
The story or accounts took place in July of 1991 when I was one year removed from high school, having taken a job as a wrangler for a dude ranch. I had a group of friends, two of which were brothers and one who was a friend of the brothers as well as myself. My buddies wanted to go on a week-long pack trip into the mountains behind my house. All of us were now heading in different directions in our lives, with the brothers going off to college and the other taking a job in Colorado. We had decided to make the trip as somewhat of a last hurrah for the group. So, I took time off from the dude ranch for the trip. Each of us had a horse that day that we had begun, as well as four other head of horses to be used as packs, and had left a trailhead at 9 a.m. with the anticipation level being high among the group. It was a warm July day. We planned to head up to some high alpine lakes to catch cutthroat trout and relax in the mountains. The trailhead sat at some 6,350 feet of elevation, with our destination being approximately 8,700 feet. We began making our way up what was the main trail until we had come to the point where we started to exit the trail, picking our way through the forest. I had grown up in these woods, so I was well aware of where I wanted to lead us, and so we went. It was just an hour into our ride when we came upon a small valley that had experienced an avalanche the previous winter rendering the route I had planned to take impassable, now being covered in mangled trees and debris. We tied up our horses, and as I told my friends, we would do a little backtracking on foot to look over a relatively steep gully for a suitable crossing to continue our adventure. This forest here was extremely overgrown, and after 20 yards or so on foot, the horses were completely out of our sight. Having reached the gully, we decided on a route that we could successfully navigate, and as we began to head back to the horses, we were startled by a loud commotion, which actually seemed to be heading our way, and we having seen nothing. We soon realized that the commotion was our horses, dumbfounded as to how they had all gotten loose. It's not uncommon for a single horse to nibble at its halter rope and free itself, but all eight? I was completely perplexed as to how this had happened, but we mounted up and continued our trip down the gully. We rode for about another six hours, with the topic of discussion being the entire time, how did the horses get loose? Having found a nice meadow, we set up camp for what would be our first night of the trip. This meadow had a snowmelt runoff creek running through it, and we soon had hobbled the horses to graze as we began to make dinner. After dinner, we gathered up the horses again and tied them to a picket line between two large spruce trees for the night. The horses were only about 15 yards away from where we had laid out our sleeping bags, using our saddles as headrests. We talked around the fire until about 1 a.m., after which we decided to hit the hay for the night. It was a gorgeous night, fully illuminated by the moon, and we were soon all asleep. We had been asleep for about two hours, when my buddy started screaming, Let me go! Let me go! All of us jumping out of our bags with our weapons drawn. 
My first thought was that of a bear being in camp, as I saw that my buddy's bag was now about 20 feet away from the fire, and he was climbing out. He was cussing at us for messing with him. He soon realized that we had all been tucked into our bags and began telling us that something had violently grabbed him by the feet and ankles and was dragging him away. Why the horses hadn't been startled puzzled me the most, and my buddy was still not convinced that we hadn't done anything to him. We had an all-out argument until we had all concluded that something or someone had dragged him from the fireside, it now being about 3 a.m. At about 4.30, we were all fast asleep again. I don't recall who got up first, but it was around 9 a.m. as we gathered our gear together and broke camp. Inasmuch as we were now above the tree line, we made excellent time to what would be our first destination, which was a gorgeous camp spot flanked by a huge rock outcropping and beautiful scenery. We had soon settled in and later on had brought our horses in, tying them to the picket line again for the night. Having brought along some whiskey and cokes, we had gathered some ice from one of the many areas ice caves as we began to indulge in a few. Now falling asleep at about 1 a.m. again, we arose at about 8 a.m. to a beautiful morning. There was no uneasiness felt among us, being all excited that we were heading up to an alpine lake to fish. Riding for the next four hours and finding yet another beautiful spot, having set camp, we tethered the pack horses, heading for the lake on horseback. Thirty minutes later, we came to the edge of the mountain where we were now looking down some 400 feet to the lake below us. We unsaddled our horses so they could graze while we were gone and took our rifles, fishing poles, sidearms, and some snacks, taking about an hour or more to reach the lake below us. Having been fishing now for some 45 minutes, catching fish after fish in the 18 to 26-inch range, one of the brothers had looked up to where the horses were and said, What the hell is that? We all looked up to the edge and saw a huge black figure standing there, which then backed away and disappeared from our view. We believed it to be a bear and frantically grabbed our gear and began the rigorous climb back out to where the horses were and our camp. Excuse me a second. A little throat clearing now. As we crested the top with our guns drawn, the first thing we noticed was the horses grazing and no sign of a bear whatsoever. Checking the horses, they were all fine as we began to scope out where we had seen this creature from the lake. Locating an outcropping, which we determined to be where the animal had been, the grass was all disturbed and matted down, with no tracks being seen at all. Stopping now to clean our fish on a patch of snow by the tree line, we then saddled up and headed back to camp, but all was not well. About a hundred yards from the camp, we could hear the pack horses whinnying, and our horses were answering back. Our camp had been ransacked with everything strewn about the ground. We each had a duffel bag full of our personal effects, all of which had been emptied out on the ground. 
I kept telling everyone that bears don't open zippers, and all I could think of was that we'd be messed with by another human being. We checked our food cache, which was suspended some 15 feet from the ground, and to our amazement, it was undisturbed. Now with the evening fast approaching, we tied off the horses again and ate our fish, deciding that each would take a two-hour shift on guard as we slept. The night was uneventful, and having awoken in the morning, we decided to cut our trip short. I told my friends that the shortest route back would be to drop down into the canyon heading northeast, where there is a well-established trail system that we could make good time on. It would still take at least two days and one night to do so. Being all in agreement, we rode for about an hour, where we reached a very soggy meadow. I was afraid that the horses would sink in, so we left one of the brothers with the horses while the three of us walked in different directions in the hope of finding a firm path across it. As I had reached a spring creek, I immediately noticed huge footprints in the soft earth. The tracks were at least 16 inches long and some 6 to 7 inches wide. I soon realized that there were tracks everywhere, identifying now three distinct foot shapes and sizes within them. Bigfoot had been a myth to me as a youth, but now I was looking at their tracks. I immediately headed back to the horses and my friends who were talking amongst themselves. One of the brothers says to follow him, and I quickly realized that he was taking me to see some more Bigfoot tracks, some 30 feet from where we had stopped with the horses. I told them that I had found the same thing less than 100 yards away from here. To me, this was no hoax. Nobody would stage this being this far in the backcountry. If you were going to stage a stunt like this, you would do it at a trailhead or somewhere sure to be found, but not here. We were now officially scared, knowing that we were being followed by multiple Bigfoot, not knowing how to get away from them. We decided to circumvent this meadow and proceed on our way. Every spot we approached now seemed too scary to set camp in. When finally we came upon another large meadow, deciding to set a camp in the middle of it. I had learned that in bear country, you can picket your animals as the sentries around your camp. With our horses not seeming afraid of these Bigfoot, so that's what we did. We built a huge fire and once again took shifts standing guard for the night. Fortunately, nothing came into our camp. At daybreak, we ate a quick breakfast, saddled up, and began heading for the main canyon. We rode for almost eight hours, being frustrated by changes in the terrain, and which caused us to have to backtrack several times. By the time we reached the crest of the main canyon, we had ridden for the last 30 minutes in the dark, stopping six miles from the canyon road and the main trailhead where it all began. Not willing to push the horses or ourselves any longer, where we had dissected the main trail, there was a huge boulder field which we decided where we decided to unpack and unsaddle the horses, giving them a chance to rest as we built a huge fire. The moon had soon risen above our encampment, casting eerie shadows amongst the boulders when suddenly 
we were startled by what sounded like loud clapping noises. Among us, we could not figure out what was going on. We knew there were bighorn sheep in the area, and we had unanimously come to believe that it was them ramming horns. The problem being, the sounds were coming from several different directions. After just a few hours of rest, if you could call it that, we couldn't take it anymore and decided to pack up and take our chances on the main canyon trail in the dark. The shadows were playing tricks on our eyes, believing that we were seeing figures darting about within the boulders as we were now perhaps a half mile or so from the trailhead. It was then, about 2.30 in the morning, that my brother, who was taking up the rear, shouted, He's right behind us! This he said about three times. I was riding only 40 feet ahead of him, and as I turned to look at him, I saw a huge black figure dart into the trees. All of us, grabbing a handful of rain, started to bolt towards that trailhead. The best sight of my life was when we broke out of the trees and into the forest service road and the trailhead parking lot. We rode for another hour until we reached the main country road, where we rested for the next few hours. To this day, the brothers are reluctant to speak about our experiences during this pack trip, one of them saying that if he accepts it, he would never be able to step into the forest again. As for me, I have had numerous experiences since then, and well know now what we saw during that pack trip. What do you make of that, Kev? That's wild, Bill. Now, where was it? Uh, Montana. Oh, yeah. Sounds yeah. like Montana had some real outdoors outdoorsmen, right? Excuse me, correction, Idaho. Idaho, probably northern Idaho. Yeah. Very similar. Used to live out there. But, you know, again, some really strong outdoorsmen spending days on horseback in the mountains, and, uh, you know, that's how you run into these creatures. Yeah, and Jay was the real deal, man. Uh, again, when I was uh, talking with him, we had a number of conversations and uh, talking with him and uh, getting to know him about hunting and what he did in the area. I mean, you could just tell these guys are, are steeped in this lifestyle, uh, the how and the why and how to do things and this and that. They're like encyclopedic indexes of, uh, you know, guide work and um, living in the bush and, you know, hunting and all. It's just amazing, you know, but this is their life. Yeah, 100%. So uh, these guys, it seems, were being trailed uh, for quite a while. Yeah, by multiple creatures. Right. Right, and the coup de grace was when they got into that one mushy meadow and were looking around because they didn't want to take a chance that the horses would sink in, you know, or break an ankle or whatever. Uh, and they found all the different size tracks in the soft uh, grass or mud, whatever it was, you know. Right, right. So uh, interesting stuff. And these dogs were following them out into that boulder field. They were like... Uh, who knows if they were going to attack them, but they were certainly trying to push them around, you know? 100%, yeah. Scary but, stuff. Uh, yeah, really freaky-deaky, man. But, uh, 
you know, again, folks, if you've seen something, definitely say something. BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact button and uh, tell me what you got, and I'll get in touch with you for sure. <laughs> yeah. So what do we got, Kevin? I'll listen to mail today. Yeah, we got a uh, good listener mail. So we're going to start off in the holiday spirit. Um, let's see here. Dory wrote in, and she said, Have you seen the Christmas windows at Berg- Bergdorf Goodman in New York City right now? Gotta check them out. It's fabulous. Very amusing. Bigfoot getting their hair styled and all. No kidding. So <laughs> I went, Dory, I, I was in New York City last week um, uh, for work, the other work, the one that pays me. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I, I did not go by Bergdorf Goodman, but I have seen their windows before and on other uh, Christmas seasons. And I couldn't believe what you're saying, so I Googled it. And sure enough, Bill, there's two windows dedicated to this white-haired Bigfoot, you know, really more like a Yeti, I would say. Uh And it's getting, one is like it's getting its hair styled in the chair looking in the mirror. Um, (laughs) And then the second window is uh, Bigfoot's, or Bigfoot or Yeti sitting there with some other folks around them kind of smiling out at the crowd with a little Yeti next to them. And by the way, folks, I, I took these images off of uh, Google and I put them up on our website under episode 228. So check it out. It's amazing, Bill. I mean, Bigfoot's going uh, big time in Manhattan, apparently. <laughs> big time, Bigfoot. Well, we yeah. always said, you know, Bigfoot could walk down the street of Manhattan and nobody would think twice about it, you know? Yeah, that's because they're all looking at their phones. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, get out of my way. <clears throat> but but Dory goes on to say, I love your shows. I fall asleep listening to you every night. Again, I'm not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> um, but don't worry. If I don't, I don't miss a thing. I listen over and over and eventually hear everything at least once, as long as I can keep my eyes open. <laughs> I added that last part. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's funny, man. Good deal, good deal. Bergdorf Goodman. And then also keeping in the spirit of the season, Jared writes in, and he says, Hi, WJ and KJ. Love the show. How do I send a picture to you guys? It's just a funny pic of a Bigfoot in a light show I saw. I think it's supposed to be the Yeti from the claymation movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, otherwise known as a Bumble. Uh, anyway, thanks for the podcast. I listen every week, Jay. So how do you send us a picture? Well, first, you go to BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com. You go to Contact Us. And if you're lucky, Bill will read your email and then send you his own email for you to send him an image. And if you want e- my email, you have to Venmo me like $2,000. And then I'll send you my email back. <laughs> Venmo. All right, maybe $1,000. Ah, keep it at two. Two's nicer. Two's good? Yeah, one for you, one for me. Well, they say the economy's doing better. <laughs> All right, three. <laughs> All right, but thanks, Jay. That's uh, that's how you do it, folks. It's not that hard. We do answer your emails, but mm-hmm. that's, that's the easiest way. And then uh, finally, Bill, Lorraine writes in, and we had a lot of emails about this subject, which is... Uh, um, how do we get to the older episodes? And Bill's working on it. 
with our podcast hosting firm, um, trying to figure out why you, some of you can't see them and I can't see them either, the older episodes. So Lorraine writes in and sheds a little bit of light on it. So she says, hi, guys, I tried to send you an email this morning while I was putting on my face, but I couldn't find a direct email address for you. So I could forward a screenshot of the podcast app I use. It's the podcast app that came preloaded on my iPhone. And she says the icon is a phone or a microphone with one eye and a smile under it. Okay, so that one doesn't isn't on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows me to listen to all your episodes going as far back as episode one. Mm-hmm. Since this communication is going through your website contact form, and I'm, at, I'm the least techie person you'll ever hear from, I don't know how to attach a screenshot. Okay, no problem. Don't worry about that. Please just take my word that if people will use the podcast app, they can listen to all of the episodes from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I look forward every week to a new podcast, and sometimes I just go back to re-listen to the previous podcast. Your interaction with each other is often as corny as the interactions between me and my three big brothers. It's comforting to listen in on family members who actually enjoy hanging out together. Of course, it's because we're 600 miles apart, Um, (laughs) like me and my brothers do. We were raised in a family very similar to yours, except Baptist rather than Catholic. Uh, but your family and my family share a deep faith in God. I guess that makes us all brothers and sisters. Here's wishing you both a blessed Christmas and a safe, healthy, and happy 2024. Amen, Lorraine. That's great. Yeah, amen to that, Lorraine. Yeah, so folks, if you can't get back like below episode 100... Uh, first of all, count your blessings because those early episodes were, <laughs> were pretty poor quality, uh, but they are good subject matter. If you can get through the the uh, clicking and clacking and noises in the background, um, but we are working with our hosting platform to figure out what's going on. You're not doing anything wrong, no. It's uh, it's just uh, something's going wrong with the distribution of these. Older episodes. You know, there were Kim, ones uh, out there everywhere, and I guess as we've recorded hundreds more, uh, somehow they aged out of some of the players. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure it's a distribution thing. I, I think some of these players are, are limiting access, and I don't know the logistics about that because somebody else said they were using, a, what was it kept Google or YouTube Music? As uh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, there was another fellow who said he uses, uh, I think it was YouTube Music or Google Music, which I'm unaware of. And yeah, all, I don't, all I don't of know them about that. But probably so, another podcast player. Yeah, and it's weird, too, because the numbers differ. Some say, oh, yeah. I got down to the 120s. Somebody else said, you know, I got into the 80s. So this is a, a weird kind of thing. I'm not certain it's our, our distributor. I mean, I think they should just... If one person can get down to episode one, then everybody should be. Yeah, I mean, I I disagree. I think it is the distributor, um, but let's get an answer from them. If if it's not them, they should be able to tell us what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you know. uh... Hey, what's that sound? What sound? Sounds like bells. You're right. Where the heck is that coming from? Well, I I don't smell anything, so I doubt it's a Bigfoot. What is that? Are you kidding me? It's freaking Santa Claus! 
Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Ho 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 